0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Gracious Father, we give you all thanks and praise for who you are and for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please bless us further today by granting us all wisdom and understanding to know the height and depths of your word. Empower us by your spirit and transform us from the inside out, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Promises are made to be broken. I wonder if you've ever heard of that. Who said it, you ask. I don't know, don't ask me. <laughs> Um, But most of us will say, no, promises are made to be kept. But how sad it is for many of us who experience, whose experience tells a different story. Promises are made to be broken. But let's be honest, some promises, it doesn't matter if you keep them. Um, You know, let's catch up for dinner, right? I'll do the dishes once I get home. I'll get that Big Mac on the way for you. It's all good. And, you know, as disappointing as those may be, it's not going to destroy us, right? It's not like I'm going to lament the fact that Jevin forgot to get me a Big Mac, right? It's like, that's not, that's, that's not my life, right? Um, but some promises, however, um, if not kept, can destroy us. I promise to be there for you. You can count on me. I would never do that to you. I will always love you. Someone once said, promises are the sweetest of lies. Once again, I don't know, Google it later if you want. Um, and it's true that if you've experienced this pain, it's so easy to doubt and be afraid, isn't it? To question any other promises, especially ones that seem too good to be true. And today, we're going to explore just that. Can we trust in God's promises to us? In today's passage, we're going to look back at Abraham's journey, and we'll see how God stays true to his promises, and how he reaffirms us by giving us a sign we can always look towards. But before we get into all that, let me bring you up to speed on what's happened in our story so far. We began our journey all the way back in Genesis 12, where the world is just out of control at after the heart reset in Genesis 8, with Noah and his family, it was here where we found the problem with mankind still remains, which is a heart that desires and loves evil. Which, simply put, is sin. In Genesis 8.21, it says, The inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onwards. As generations from generations pass from the days of Noah, God zooms in and calls out an old man named Abram and promises him this. Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. There's this promise of offspring, promise of land to call his own, and that through Abram, the whole world would be blessed. And on hearing this, Abram trusts in God's promises and obeys his word by setting out as God had commanded him. But as we journey these past few weeks, um, we've seen moments of greatness and moments of disappointment, haven't we? moments of great fear, and moments of great faithfulness. It's amazing how this one man, Abram, can make us go, wow, that's amazing, and go, how How could you? We've seen fear play out in the second half of Genesis 12 when Abram risks his promise of of his offspring by lying to Pharaoh about his beautiful wife, Sarah, being his sister. But thanks be to God, he delivers them. On the other hand, we have stories in Genesis 13 where Abram and his nephew Lot separate. And Abram gives Lot the better land where the plains are well watered, where the cities were built which were near Sodom. And Abram chooses to live in the land of Canaan, being fully confident of what the Lord has promised him. The land that God has shown me, Abram says. And just last week in Genesis 14, we heard from Pastor Adam about the great battle of the kings, where Abram, along with only 318 trained men, rescue his nephew Lot and brings not only back his nephew, but all the people of the other cities that were captured. And here the king of Sodom offers Abram something that would have definitely tempted me. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people but take the possessions for yourself. Imagine a whole kingdom's worth of possession to own for yourself. Yet Abram here sticks to God's promises of Abram being a blessing to others, you see. As Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of the heavens and the earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that belongs to you. So you can never say, I made Abram rich. Abram doesn't need this. He doesn't need his possession. He doesn't need his protection. Because God has promised him his own protection. Friends, with each instance, with each story, we see God's promises of offspring land and being a blessing. We see all these being at risk. Yet God himself ensures that it will come to fruition. And it's after these extraordinary events that we come to our passage here today. And here God's word for Abram is God tells him, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. I wonder what you would have thought or what came to mind when you heard this. After all you've been through, rejecting the king of Sodom's offer of spectacular wealth, Perhaps you'd think, man, maybe I should have taken it." I, I don't know. Or at least some of it right? Just just 10 percent or something, I don't know. Um, and here God comes to Abram and reassures him. He tells him, "Do not be afraid, Abram, and that his reward will be very great. If God said that to me, I would have been like, "Sweet, great, fine." God telling Abram, "No, no, no, what you gave up for me, your reward will be greater than even that." But instead of responding in faith, Abraham responds in fear. In verse 2 it says, Abram said to God, he said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Elisa of Damascus? Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Abraham's response is bold to say the least. And some of us will be like, that's crazy, Abram. And I mean, with the Lord's help, you took down kingdoms, Abram. God inflicted plagues at his will, yet Abram can't help but look at his wife Sarai and their childlessness. And doubt begins to creep in, doesn't it? Like, when will this happen, Lord? How, even at this point, we're so old. And he asked, what's the point of telling me that my reward will be even greater? What's it good to show me the lands of the north, south, east, and west, and that my offsprings will be as numerous as the dust of the earth, if I have none to begin with? Where are they, Lord? I'm not getting any younger, and you promise. Look, you have given me no offspring. You have not kept your promise. You hear God respond with such gentleness and grace, doesn't he? Understanding fully Abram's fear, God says in verse 4, Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offsprings will be as numerous as that. God makes it as clear as day that Abram's heir will be one from his own and that they'll multiply as numerous as the stars. I don't know if you've ever tried. There's a lot of them out there, especially if you go into Dandenong Ranges. It's really nice. Try that. But it's quite quite a beautiful word picture, isn't it? Verse 6 tells us that Abram believed it. He believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. If you grew up in church, you would know and probably love this verse. It's incredible that simply believing, by simply having faith, by simply trusting what God has promised you, goes far as to say, goes far as to make Abraham righteous. It's crazy that it's at this point that faith was brought out, meaning that everything Abraham did and everything he failed to do up, in this, up until this point, doesn't matter. That God will remember him. That he will deliver his promises. It's in this moment he recognizes. Forget the fact that he left his household. Forget the fact that he sold out his wife. Forget that not once but twice he chose the lesser portions of wealth and land. Forget the fact that he took down nations. Forget all the good, forget all the bad, because when it comes to standing right before God, whether God will accept him or not, it's here and here alone we find where Abraham's righteousness comes from, which is a faith in God's promises. For Abraham to go from his household to continue as a foreigner, a pilgrim, these acts were all a response to God's promise. But how can you be so certain? How can we trust in a God that said the same thing over and over and over again in chapter 12? What if it's all talk? How can I be certain that God will deliver? How will I know he will follow through? I'm Glad you asked. Let's look at the remainder of our passage, and God is going to show us how and how much he's willing to put on the line to make sure his promises will come true. Let's read in verse 7. God said, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he being Abram, he being Abram, said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? Man, don't don't you love this verse? Abram just said, It's already establishing that he has faith, that he actually believes in God's promises fully. But I can't help but resonate with him to ask this question as well. How can I be sure? I mean, God, I do believe. I know in my head, but just, just give me a little more. Help me, Lord, to know. Help me, Lord, to trust you, even though with the little faith I have. God responds in this way. And it might seem a bit random at first. It's a weird passage at first. But honestly, hopefully it'll be a great comfort and a great source of assurance for you. Let's read from verse 9. God said to him, Bring me three, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain. Your your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them, and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterwards they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. Good for Abel In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set, it was dark, and a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates River. God here reaffirms his promise and reassures Abram in two ways. The first is he establishes with Abram what we know as a blood covenant, and the second is by God sharing his plan for what is to occur in the coming generations. So as many of you probably know, 2020, especially here in Melbourne and probably other parts of the world, not a great year to plan a wedding. <laughs> um, but throughout January, um, I was able to not see but one, not two, but actually three of my close friends get married. And I realized in those moments, as great as the reception is, it's exciting, you look for your seating, you're like, am I seeing next to you, right? Um, As great as the speeches are, so wholesome, so wholesome. And as great as it is for Robbie to tear up that dance floor, as great as those things may be, truly the most spectacular moment in a wedding is when the vows are exchanged and the husband and wife agree to enter into a marriage covenant for two people to promise to forsake all others for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us. Absolutely beautiful. But unlike a covenant made between two people where the responsibility on the husband and wife to make it work, here God and God alone establishes his covenant with Abraham. In verse 10 to 12, God puts his money where his mouth is by appearing in the form of smoking firepot and a flaming porch, which pass between the divided animals. What God is saying here is saying, if I break my promise, may my fate be like the cow that is slaughtered. May I be slaughtered, may I be cut into two if I fail to deliver on what I promised. It's like, it's like the husband saying, if I ever cheat on you, if I ever fail to keep my marriage vows, Strike me dead. I swear it on my life. God saying, take my life if I can't do this for you. And what an outrageous thing this is. Because for us, God, for a God who cannot die, right, is a God who cannot lie. To put his own name, sake on the line for Abram, what greater assurance can there be? No longer is it just a word of mouth, but now a blood covenant is made. Not because God might abandon us at any point, but it's there so Abram could feel secure. It's so that we could feel secure. How can I know that I'll possess it? Well, that's how you know. You can bet my life on it, God. This was the first way God reaffirms his promises. And the second way he affirms his promises um, is by letting Abram in on his plan. And what we have to understand is that we worship a God that doesn't work in days, no, but in generations. Lord have mercy. I don't know how much Abram was expecting in his lifetime. Surely Abram could have done the math. It's not like he can just pop out that many babies in his lifetime. Well, not enough to count the stars in verse 5, as God says. And here God speaks of what is to occur as if his promises are true, as if it already came into fruition. For 400 years in a land that they don't possess, they will suffer greatly. How will you know that you will possess this land, Abram? Well, I'll tell you. And it says in verse 16, in the fourth generation, your offspring will return to this land for the iniquity of the Amorites have not yet reached this full measure. The Amorites are a people who are currently occupying the land of Canaan, not right now, but back then, right? Um, who are currently stopping Israel from occupying their promised land. In Leviticus 18, we learn a little bit about who they are. They were a nation that knew no bounds to sexual morality. There was, there was no, that's too far. There was no, they are off limits. They were also known for their child sacrifice to their idol god, Molech, which was terrible. It's because of the Amorites that you will not possess the land yet, Abraham. But know that your descendants will, because I am still waiting for the Amorites to deserve my judgment. It's crazy to see, isn't it, that God is waiting for the Amorites? like waiting for their sins to build up? When we read the story of Joshua, where God delivered the Amorites into the hands of Israel to claim the land of Canaan, we can be so quick to think, man, God, Like, how could you just judge a nation like that? How, how could you be so rash, so harsh, so unloving? Yet here we see that God is willing to wait for over 400 years for this nation to repent. 400 years for this nation to believe. As much as our God is loving and patient, we must never forget the fact that he is also holy, perfect, and just. And this is an example of that here. Even though he promised Abraham this land, he will not judge until the right time has come. Just like with the flood in Genesis 6, God's action was not compulsive, but one of ultimate forbearance. For God to be patient with the world until every inclination of the human heart was nothing but evil all the time. Man, God, why bother? Why wait? It's insane to think that God would wait again and again and again so that all would have the opportunity to return to our Creator God. Friends, if you're not a Christian, it's great to have you here today. I always love having you here because Just means we're inviting people in. We want people to come to know Christ. But I'm particularly thankful that you're here today because there's a warning for you here today. The same warning I received almost 15 years ago. I pointed at Adam because we went to the same youth group, we went to the same church. And the same warning I got was for those who do not put their trust in Jesus to those who do not have faith in what is promised for us in Christ Jesus, there is a judgment coming for you. Just like with Amorites, there will be a day where God will call you to the stand and say, why should I accept you? In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes, Do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will repay each one according to his word. Friends, the longer we live, the longer we refuse to put our trust in Jesus, there is a wrath building up against you. There is nothing that we can bring before God that would make him say, you are good enough. Now, some of you will probably think, Noon, that's a bit harsh. But friends, I tell you this because I love you. I tell you this because God loves you. I'm but... Po- One fellow beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Someone tells us that we are like chaff before God if we were ever to stand on that judgment day with our works behind us. We are considered trash that gets carried away by the gentlest of winds. The only hope we have, friends. The only promise we can cling to. The only thing we can trust to get us through those heavenly gates is our Lord and Savior Jesus and for what He's done for us on the cross. John 3.16 tells us, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, my prayer for you today, my hope for you today, is that you would consider Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. For there is no other way, there is no other path, there's no other promise that will make us right. But noon promises are made to be broken. Friends, there are only few things in life that hurts more than a promise being broken, isn't there? Especially if it's from someone you love, someone you trusted. The betrayal, the disappointment, the pain. I don't know what you would. It's natural for us to be afraid if we've experienced these things. It's natural to be insecure, to find any and every reason of doubt, especially for a promise that sounds too good to be true. But friends, our God is the God who meets us in our fears. And he calls us out of our fears and into faith, faith in God's promises. God's promises are the ones you can bank on, These are the promises you can commit your very life to because God has already done that through His Son. You see, when Jesus was nailed on that cross, God had delivered every promise that He has made to us in Christ. If you're ever in doubt, if you're ever afraid, simply look to the cross. There is no greater sign you can look for. For Abram, God said, look at the stars and be reminded. God tells us today, look at the cross, the place where justice and mercy kiss. There is no more work to be done. Sin no longer has the power to condemn you. It, ha- it reigns no more. You can live in freedom and faith. Fear says, if God only knew you would struggle like this, why would he stay? Faith says, God will never leave me or abandon me. <laughs> Fear says, how could God love you? Faith says, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Fear says, look at yourself. Look what you've done. You are condemned before God. Faith says, look at the cross. Look what God has done for you. I am, you are, considered righteous. Do not be afraid. Anymore. Do not be afraid. Live not in fear, but in faith. Walk today as though you are in Christ. Walk as though God's promises trump any of our circumstances, any past, present, or future Live in faith, trusting in these promises. Do not be afraid. Well known. Easier said than done, right? I want to trust. I want to have faith. But sometimes it's just hard to believe. Brother, if that's you. Sister, if that's you. You're not alone. As simple as this may be, I urge you to do these two things. And I wish I had a special program, special DVD, special book, I don't know, other than the Bible. Bible is the book. Yeah. Um, but I wish I had something magical for you, but nothing can replace the devotion to word and prayer. If you're finding yourself doubting constantly, not knowing who God is or how might he react, does he care? Does he not care? Does he still love me? You must read God's word. And read it regularly. It's easy to forget. But for us to trust and to hold on to God's promises, we must be reminded of them. Fuel your mind with the word, and the promises will stick to you. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, devote yourself to prayer. If you're filled with knowledge but lack faith, if you're like, I know all this, thing. I've been a Christian for so long yet I still struggle, I still fail to trust, I still fail to live in this freedom that you speak of, then I encourage you to pray regularly. Pray an honest confession. Pray with a broken spirit. Ask for the Lord's help to believe. Pray like the Father who pleads to Jesus, I do believe, but help my unbelief. As simple as these things may be, nothing in my experience or in anyone else's experience, these are the two essentials that we must keep. May the word of God fill our minds and may our prayers move our hearts. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you're a God that meets us in our fears. Thank you that you call us out of our fears and to live in faith. Thank you that with all the uncertainties in life, there's one thing we can be certain, which are the promises found in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for your son. I just pray, Lord, that you continue to minister in our hearts, that you continue to convict us and move us in ways that we cannot even imagine. Help us to believe, help us to trust, and help us to hold firm to the promises we have. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.